0: Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast, tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout, stories of burnout put to its highest and best use, and wellness leadership strategies, everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Well, hey, this is Dr. Dyke Drummond, again at the home of the happy MD in beautiful Seattle, Washington, with the latest edition of the Physician on Purpose podcast. And today, our guest is Dr. Brett Linzer, MD. He is a PEDS internal medicine doctor in Wisconsin and an old friend. How long have we known each other for, Brett? Uh, seven years. Seven years. There you go. And Brett, <laughs> Brett's been to one or two of our retreats, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're good friends, uh, know a little bit about each other, and what I'd like Brett to do, because I asked him to come on, is tell us his burnout story <laughs> and where he started, where he is today, what's happened in the meantime, and what he's doing with his learning experience along the way. So Brett, wherever you want to start, just tell us uh, how we met,
1: uh, where you were at the time, and we'll just walk people up to the present day. Sure. So uh, I'm in my 20th year here in physician-owned practice in Wisconsin. And I went through a a challenging time in 2014, where a number of things were challenging me, um, both personally and professionally. Uh, It was a mixture of one of my partners left, leaving me with extra work, I didn't know how to communicate with the nurses that were working with me as effectively as I I do now. And we just started with Epic. Oh my, (laughs) hang on a second. That's a triple whammy almost. Nobody could
0: survive. You get get somebody else's panel dumped on you. Mm -hmm. Epic is installed and you've got to Mm -hmm. ramp up that learning curve and Mm -hmm. you're having trouble communicating with the nurses to get your needs met. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's got to hurt. <laughs> That'll leave a mark.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the personal side, uh, we had three teenagers at home and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i we didn't have much family support and then my my beautiful wife mary frances she was struggling with uh, chronic migraines that really affected her and put her out of commission for days at a time oh my and so i was struggling trying to figure out how to balance all that and i tried some of the my usual techniques. And what I learned from, from you were uh, actual survival techniques, but uh, I didn't really understand that. But I, I just tried to work harder. I kept telling my wife, just hang in there. Things will get better. I just need to learn more or do more. And it wasn't working. And after a while, it got to be harder. And it got to the point where, where things were kind of coming to a, a head and, and my wife was losing patience and I didn't have any other good ideas and and so one day she gave me your card and said hey Brett I, I think <laughs> you you should get some help here's a card with a, a burnout coach and at the time as I kind of reflected on it I, I didn't really trust anyone and I didn't I didn't know where to turn and I thought actually I, I thought well how is this guy? Dyke, happy MD. How is he going to help me? I have my special problems and and nobody can really help me. And I just need to figure it out for myself. And so I almost it canceled calling you twice, but I followed through with it. And on that initial discovery call, what I realized in a short period of time was that you could really help me and that you were a compassionate, understanding listener who's actually walked some of this path. And I, I knew within a short time that I could trust you. And I, that's time out. And I'm happy that I was
0: able to form a bond with you in common experience. Right. And have you trust me because I do know and have had my own version of what you've gone through, but let's just set the stage for people who may be listening to us right now and may feel some of the things that you're feeling. Mm. This just so you know, is a classic presentation of physician burnout in a mid-career doctor. Mm. We've got multiple stresses at work. Mm. Things are stressful at home. And sometimes home can be a place where there are additional stress that adds to the workplace. Sometimes Home is just a place where you can't relax to recover. Either way, it doesn't matter. You'll get to a threshold. And what you've been taught through seven years of education, seven for me, and could be a lot more depending on if you have a specialty, is just work harder. (laughs) Now, what that is, is putting Einstein's insanity trap into a whole new gear. And we don't collaborate. We don't have each other's backs. We don't have a culture of support in medical school and residency. So. If you were to ask for help or ask for a pause or ask for a break, you would almost certainly feel shame, failure, and if you were in your training when you did that, you might get drummed out of the program. So to reach out to someone and ask for help is usually a huge barrier for most doctors. We've been trained to be lone rangers, and you have no experience of a supportive relationship from a peer because we're so competitive. What do they call collaboration in medical school? Cheating. So, so somehow things got so painful that you couldn't deny it anymore. And he said, oh, what the heck? I'll talk to this guy. Damn. <laughs> okay. Take it from there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what I realized, and in talking with you in that first discovery call, that was so helpful. It was that you explained to me that there were patterns of behavior that I didn't understand and um, common patterns. And, and so I always thought that I had a fatal flaw <laughs> that something was wrong with me and that other people can figure this out, but I couldn't. And after talking with you, I realized that this is common. This is uh, patterns of behavior. And I thought if there are patterns and I could learn about them, And I could modify them, and I could improve them. And that's exactly what I've experienced during this time. And one of the things that i found is that
0: a lot of what we do, coaching, communication skills, uh, career development, all that kind of stuff, a lot of that people in business will call it soft skills. Mm. But it's really the most difficult stuff. And a thing like Einstein's insanity trap sounds kind of cute doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But what I'll tell you is it's as powerful as any law of nature, physical law of nature. It's as powerful as gravity. It will always be true until the end of time. If you want a different result, you've got to take a different action. Mm -hmm. And until you do, and in most cases for burnout, until you wind the actions that work into new habits, things you do all the time and would never not do... You're going to stay at that low burn, slow burn, low burn ideal job description, sometimes in the in the 20 or 30% overlap range. And I'm so glad that you decided because you switched from being somebody who didn't think there could be anything different to maybe I'll try something and see how Mm -hmm. it works out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you turned into a man of action. Tell us what you did.
1: Uh, so so I worked with you, Dyke. I learned communication skills. I, I learned how to communicate more effectively with the nurses. I learned how to be more effective with Epic, more efficient. One of the things that, that I learned was, and I didn't realize this, but I kind of became numb to my feelings. Uh, my emotions weren't really uh, safe for me. I, I learned early on that I couldn't really have the full range of emotions that, and so as a result, I felt kind of numb and I didn't understand that. I didn't know what to do with that. And so I slowly learned how to understand that more and then learn how to feel. And that's been uh, transformative for me.
0: In some cases, you basically have to go numb or you can't stand what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. So you woke your emotions back up. That's a very cool way to describe it. Yeah.
1: Mm And then what I did over, so things improved, and then what I did over the past couple years is I realized that along that path, what I needed to do was to understand more of what happened to me, understand why I didn't really trust anybody, and if I really wanted to feel my emotions, then that required me to do some personal investigation and open some of the the black box that was my training and and my early uh, practice, and so that wasn't easy, but it was very helpful and and transformative. And I had some help. I had a, another coach, uh, Eric Trees, that helped me over the past uh, a couple years. And I realized that I couldn't just have good emotions. I, if I wanted the full range of emotions. I had to feel the sadness, feel the loss, feel the, the negative feelings that I had. And so I began a process of some journaling and, and investigating experiences that happened to me in in residency and, and other times. And then the next step was to feel that, but then to bring it out into the open. And I, I made a decision to start talking about some of those experiences and and I would talk about them with some of the medical students that I precept and train and some of my other colleagues and then I wrote an article for the medical college of Wisconsin the transformational times that kind of outlined uh, some of my difficult experiences in training some of that talked about some uh, three of my friends committed suicide during my training oh my and I I never really you know, when I was going through that, I kind of was just in the thick of it. I didn't really understand what was happening to me. And I kind of just survived day to day, but I never really unpacked that or understood what was happening and processed and integrated those feelings. And so I started that process and it was very helpful for me. One of my intern friends committed suicide in in the first three weeks that we started uh, training. Oh my. And I didn't really understand what was happening. And when the residency director brought us into a room and sort of gave us the talk of like, hey, we care about you. Here's a card with a psychologist. Oh, if you need help. I thought to myself at that time, I didn't really understand what he meant. I I really didn't think that like I could get help. It was just a concept that was out of my, like, I didn't think that was possible. And so I kind of just put that out of my mind and said, all right, just do what you have to do. Get on with your busy day. And I couldn't process that. And then two years later, my chief resident committed suicide. Oh my, good God. And I thought, you know, I tried to process that too. And I thought, well, here's a guy who usually the chief is just somebody who you think has the answers.
0: Right. The rock. Right, you, look,
1: you look up to who is like, okay, if this guy could do it, you know, I'm kind of struggling, but I could do it. And then that happened. And and I just, I didn't know it, it was disorienting and um, we didn't really talk about it or process it. And again, it was kind of like a push it under the rug and get on with what you got to do. And so those kind of experiences were in the back of my mind. And and I thought, well, and then what what I started thinking was, and it kind of scared me a little bit, I started wondering, how are those guys different than me? And then my friend, Alex Drurcich, he's a med peds in Indiana, he committed suicide about six or seven years ago, and he had a family and I looked up to him and he was the assistant residency director. So that really hit home because I went to his wedding and I I knew him. Oh so then that's when I really thought like okay, how are these guys different than me and how far am I from doing something that is drastic like that? And so that was a, also a catalyst for me to kind of look and seek help and and learn more about this and and talk more about it because I think it's it's something that we that I didn't really talk about. It's not that open. But as I talk about these experiences, more and more people come up to me and they and they trust me and they say, "Hey, thank you for for being honest. Thank you for telling us about your experiences. I I have some similar challenging experiences that I've been reluctant to share, and and now I can share them a little bit, and and so that's been very helpful.
0: Well, and notice how the little bit of feedback and the feeble attempt at support that happened in the wake of the first suicide taught you the coping mechanism, which is get back to work, Mm. stuff your feelings, get back to work, go numb, Mm -hmm. work work harder. Sounds familiar, right? Mm. Classic coping mechanism. And did you feel when you decided I need to sort of like go public here, I I want to share my story. I'm sure that was a little bit scary when you first did it, but what was the feedback that you got from the people that you were sharing your story with?
1: Well, it was all positive and encouraging. Multiple people said, this is this is something that needs to be out in the open. More people need to do this. And I thought, okay, if I can use my story, if I can be of help to people, then I can put my ego to the side. I can put my concerns and my worries about myself to the side and just put myself out there and and see what happens. And you're right. It was hard. And it was, I'm an introvert. I'm a kind of private person. And uh, I felt like I was kind of exposing myself in some way, but the feedback that I, I get, it pushes me forward. And I, I feel like it it's doing good work. And in some sense, It's helping those guys who did those drastic things, their legacy in some way. If I can do a small part to help, then okay, I'll do it. I wrote a, I decided that I was just going to make a, like a 20 minute presentation to our leadership. And so there's a a group meeting and I asked for 20 minutes of time and I said, Hey, I just want to tell my story. And I just did. I, I just put it all out there. And then I wrote a kind of transcript of that presentation to one of the directors at the medical college. And I said, hey, I don't know if you, you know, where you would need this or whatever, but here's a transcript and this is what I did. And so that's when she said, wow, this is very important. They put it in that Transformational uh, Times newsletter and she encouraged me to continue and just talk about it as much as I can.
0: Well, and one of the things that we've been teaching uh, wellness champions, anybody who wants to play a role in wellness in their organization is exactly what you demonstrated because everybody I've ever given this advice to has the same experience. Our mantra is, if you want to know how to get started as a wellness leader, simply tell your story first, the good, the bad, and the ugly, especially the ugly, because what that does without... Anything intellectual, you stand up and you tell your story makes it okay for everybody to tell their story. And it is the single most powerful thing that you can do as a wellness leader to normalize the discussion of stress, struggle, needing to take a break, have people step in and have your back and give you a shoulder to lean on. Super, super important. As a matter of fact, one of our uh, retreat graduates, Ami, Said she, was, she decided she was going to tell her team of 40 people her story. And she said to me afterward, she said, I told myself, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> and darn it, I cried. And everybody came up afterward and said it was amazing, right? Mm. So yeah, really powerful to tell stories, especially of the taboo subjects.
1: Well, I had this experience that, so in 2019, I think as I reflect on this, one of the other catalysts was... I got an award for being actually the, the best uh, preceptor in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so I was invited to the Wisconsin Dells for the ACP Wisconsin meeting, and I was presented the award at that time. And so when I had maybe five minutes to give an acceptance speech or something like that, and you know the other people who received various awards, they kind of said, you know, thank you and this and that. And I took a chance and I said, you know, thank you, but I just want to share some of my burnout story. And you may see me as a, you know, accomplished, successful person, but I had this experience. And I I said some of the challenges I was having, there was a hundred doctors there at lunch and they gave me a standing ovation. Oh, my and the beautiful thing was that my wife and my kids were there. Oh, nice. And, uh, so anyway, that I realized that that was something like there was something to that, that people are kind of hungry for people to do that. And, and so.
0: And do you feel like uh, writing it down and having it published that the act of writing it and putting it in ink and having it published changed your experience of releasing this and sharing this in any way?
1: Yes, it, it definitely clarified it for me. The act of writing and journaling, it took kind of fuzzy ideas in my mind, some memories and things, and it put it out on the paper and it clarified things. And actually it was an interesting experience because sometimes I would wake up at night and I would just have this thought like, okay, write this sentence or say this when you give your presentation. I didn't know where it came from, but it it just was there. And and that happened over and over again. And so that act of writing, that was very powerful and helpful for me.
0: Right on. Yeah. One of the things that I strongly recommend for doctors is that you do get a journal and you do journal. And here's why we've talked about the whirlwind before the whirlwind of the practice of medicine, being able to step out and get that new perspective at regular intervals is really important. Well, I've found that If you're journaling in good faith, you pick up your journal, you take a break, you step away, and you write, it's impossible to journal from within the whirlwind. Mm. So it's a super healthy habit to get into, to take some time once a week to just journal about your experience of your life. The other thing I'll say is that I've always uh, had this happen with me, and I know other people who feel it too. If you write out your story on a piece of paper and build a big bonfire... Mm. and wad it up and burn it and dance around the bonfire <laughs> as the story birds sometimes that can feel
1: really good too <laughs> yeah i've done that too you have okay Oh, sure <laughs> well especially with some of the things that i can't fix i can't control right. and that just kind of weigh on me and and negative experiences i just it's releasing, and it's helpful to to just put it out there and be like, "Ah, all right, I'm I'm get somehow getting it out of me is very helpful. Either writing or speaking, it's very helpful. And like
0: tuning forks that are close to each other, the people resonate with what you say because they have similar experiences, even though they may or may not choose to speak up. And and just for everybody's benefit here. Brett says, I'm kind of an introverted guy. He's really kind of an introverted guy. I don't think he's ever been first man on the dance floor. I guarantee you that. So it's a challenge for him to stem up and speak in public in a way that it might not be for other people. Certainly not for me, right? So Mm. um, you can do this even if you're introverted. You can do this even if you don't believe you're a skilled public speaker. It's not your ability to tell a story. It's ability for you to relate your story. And if Mm. you come from the heart, people will resonate with that. Well that's awesome. So do you have any plans to go any further in this work of being a wellness leader and someone who relates to your colleagues on the the wavelength of wellness?
1: Well, this year I'm um, the Medical College uh, of Wisconsin started a coaching program where they hook up first-year students with volunteer faculty coaches. And they started that last year. And then I joined this year. So I'll have five students who I'll be their coach. So yeah, and I still have fourth year medical students every month with me as part of the ambulatory uh, rotation. And so I will continue my work in that regard. I'll see. I don't have any specific. I'm kind of following what happens and what where I'm needed and follow the flow of things. So yeah, it's an interesting journey and I'm open to what comes next and we'll see what happens. And as you contemplate taking on these first year medical students,
0: five of them. What are some of the things you think you'll tell them?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that the first thing will be this in the area of trust. And so I will work hard to get them to trust me and to be relatable to them and that I'm not just, uh, you know, a, a award-winning uh, attending sort of with the answers for them, that I'm, I've am i been kind of where they are, I've, I've struggled, and, and I can be a resource for them, but I, I'm not going to give them the answers. I'm not going to put any thing on them. I'm just going to be a skilled question provider for them and help them along. So
0: nice, nice. And um, do they call this a coaching program or a mentoring program?
1: It's called the 4C coaching program. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll start next month. And you get a little bit of training? There's a little bit of training. I've had some personal training in the coaching area. Uh, I mentioned the the other coach that I've been working with has been some of that uh, more in the coaching area. But there is some training for the faculty.
0: And do all the first-year class members get a coach, or are they doing a half-and-half half study or something It's like a that?
1: volunteer for the medical students, and so about half of them uh, signed up to volunteer. Last year, a third of them did. So word's getting out. Uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, gaining momentum.
0: (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our audience about burnout, telling your story, doing new things, anything about the transition that you've been through because burnout pushed you back on that path with more purpose?
1: I would say take a chance and trust. I mean, it may feel uncomfortable at first and it certainly was for me, but In my experience, unless things are a little bit uncomfortable, then there's no growth and there's no learning. And I never would have believed I would have been in the state that I am uh, right now in the position I am. But it all started with kind of taking a few chances and saying things could be better. I'm not sure how, but I'm willing to work on it and have a growth mindset and uh, things can be better. I truly believe that. Right on. Right on.
0: Words from the far side. Thank you, Brett. That's been Dr. Brett Lindzer, MD, Peds IM out of Wisconsin, and an old friend of mine. Brett, have a great rest of your day. Everybody else, we'll see you on the next Physicians on Purpose podcast. Please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until I see you again, keep breathing and have a great rest of your day.